Hello, my friends, and welcome back for this week's episode of the Practical Parsha podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, and I hope you are well. For this week's episode, before I begin, I wanted to fill you in on that trip I told you about to the Lakewood Yeshiva. So as I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, we planned and actually we went on a trip to Lakewood, New Jersey, to Yeshiva, to base Medrash Gavoa, the biggest yeshiva in the United States. And I mentioned that we were going to be privileged to hear from one of the Roshi Yeshiva, from one of the deans of the yeshiva. This year we heard from Rav David Shustel Shlita, and he really shared with us some beautiful words, which I wanted to speak over with you today, and just to bring you in on the trip, bring you up to date. I didn't want to leave you hanging that I said I'm going to say over the Divrei Torah, the words of Torah from Rabbi Shustel, and I wanted to come through with that. So it was an amazing trip. Maybe you want to come with us next year. But just to share a little bit with it, we, we learned in the morning in the yeshiva. We studied there for a few hours with the men in the community. And it was just really beautiful to be in an environment where thousands of people are studying Torah. Every section of the Torah is being studied there. And to really cap off our morning, Rabbi Shustel spoke to us. And he shared um, a beautiful thought. You know, this was a, a few weeks ago, but it's really relevant for this week's Parsha as well. And he said that over the you know these few weeks, we've been discussing the Mishkan, the tabernacle, how it was built, the vestments. And in this week's Parsha, which is Parsha's Kisisa, we're also going to be discussing um, different parts of the, the Mishkan as well. And, you know, next week as well, we're going to continue the setup of the Mishkan and the service of the Mishkan. And he shared this idea that even though today we don't have a Mishkan, we don't have a tabernacle, we don't have a temple, right? The, the Mishkan was the forerunner for the temple in Jerusalem, and we don't have that anymore. But Hashem, God, doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us in a place where there's no way for us to have, you know, Hishchina in this world. Because the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was a place where God rested in this world, where His Shechina resided, His presence resided. And God is not going to leave us here, even though there's no tabernacle today, there's no temple, there's no Beis Amigdash. He's not going to leave us hanging like that. And the Gemara tells us that even though we don't have a tabernacle, we don't have a Mishkan, and we don't have the temple in Jerusalem, but what do we have? We have the Bata Kinesiais and the Bata Midrashim, the houses of worship and the houses of study. That the, for us today, a shul, a synagogue, a study hall, those are places, those are referred to as a mikdash ma'at. It's a miniature sanctuary. It's a miniature tab tabernacle, a miniature temple. And we have the ability to make the divine presence, it rests in a little different form, you know, not as the same way as it did in the Mishkan. It rests in the, in the synagogues and the study halls. But Rabbi Shustel brought down that the Gemara tells us that there's another opinion. Rabbi Yitzchak says, Af beis Rabbeinu Shebe that also the house of our teacher in Bavel. And the Gemara is referring to the study hall, the yeshiva of Rav, which was located in Bavel in Babylon. And at, at that time, the yeshiva of Rav was the, the most prestigious yeshiva in pretty much the whole world. That's where the center of Torah learning was at that time. 
At that time, it was not in the land of Israel. It was in the land of Bavel. And it seems from the Gemara, from the Talmud, that, that the Torah learned in this study hall of Rav, in this yeshiva, which was a mainstay of the Jewish people, that it's even more of a sanctuary. It's a higher level. The Torah there, that the, this Mikdash Ma'at that we're referring to, this miniature temple, is even on a higher level in the study hall of Rav, in the yeshiva. And Rabbi Shustel went on to say that Beis Medrash Gavoha, the you know preeminent yeshiva in the United States, the biggest yeshiva, you know, it's it's Beis Rabbeinu Shebavel. It's for our generation, for our time, it's, it's the mother of all yeshivas. And for us today, it's a higher level of, of holiness, you know, than a, than a regular synagogue. And hopefully he's saying to us, living in, you know, in our community, as a, the rabbi is a student of Beis Medrash Gavoa, and many of the Kolo rabbis are alumni of the yeshiva as well. And the community really traces itself, my community that I'm in, traces itself to the yeshiva, to the Lakewood community. And he said maybe the yeshiva, that our community as well, is an extension of that base Rabbeinu Shavuot, that higher level of Kedusha, the higher level of holiness, the higher level of the Shekhinah residing than a regular synagogue. And I want to take it one step further, that this podcast, you know, will take it one step more. I'm part of my community. And this this podcast is really an outshoot. It's a outgrowth of my position where I am. And I want to say that the Torah that we learn on this podcast is perhaps connected back to the Lakewood Yeshiva as well, that we're also hopefully tapping into that higher level of spirituality, the higher level of divine presence that you get from studying in the Yeshiva of Rav, which is the preeminent Yeshiva of the generation. For us, it's base Medrash Gavoan. And just to, to take to tap into that and to hopefully use it to, to take us higher and higher and closer and closer to Hashem. So before we begin, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomokon, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. So as I mentioned before, this week's Parsha is Parsha Skisisa. And just to give a quick overview of the Parsha, the Parsha talks about the census Hashem commands Moshe Rabbeinu to take a census of the Jewish people, but not to count them directly. Rather, the Jewish people should give a half of a shekel that every man 20 years and older should give a half of a shekel to get a correct counting of the Jewish people. The Parsha continues to tell us about the Kior, the Lavor, as well as the Shemen HaMishcha, the anointment oil that only Moshe Rabbeinu had permission to make and it cannot be replicated. The Parsha continues with the Ketores, how to make the Ketores, the incense, which was offered on the special Mizbeach, the special altar in the tabernacle. The designation of Betzalel and Aliyah as the craftsman, the foreman of the Mishkan, of the tabernacles talked about in this week's Parsha, as well as the commandment of the Shabbos. And really what's the focus of this week's Parsha, really what it's known for the most, the biggest storyline in, in the Parsha for this week, is Moshe receiving the tablets, the Jews committing the sin of the golden calf, where they mistakenly think that Moshe has passed on and they mistakenly create this golden calf to put it in its place of Moshe Rabbeinu, which ends up with the Jewish people, some of the Jewish people, worshiping idols. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses smashes the first tablets. God's wrath is kindled against the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses begs Hashem for forgiveness. And really this Parsha, the episode of the golden calf, is really the prototype 
For us, it's the example for the Jewish people of how we gain atonement because Moshe Rabbeinu successfully pleads for his people and God gives the Jewish nation forgiveness. Finally, the Parsha finishes off with Moshe Rabbeinu going up to heaven again and getting the second tablets, which he comes back down and brings to the people. The first idea I want to share with you today takes us to the mitzvah of Shabbos. So again, it's repeated in this week's Parsha, the mitzvah to keep Shabbos, the prohibition against transgressing the Shabbos. And in fact, the, you know, the prayer that we say Friday night is actually found, it's sourced in this week's Parsha. Right? We say this prayer on Friday night in davening. The children of Israel shall observe the Shabbos to make the Shabbos an eternal covenant for their generations. Between me and the children of Israel, it is a sign forever that in a six-day period Hashem made heaven and earth and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, the commentary discuss, what does it mean that Shabbos is a sign? Right? We say, Between me and the children of Israel, Shabbos is a sign forever. You know, we think of a sign, we think of a stop sign, we think of a speed limit sign. What does it mean Shabbos is a sign. And we know also that in Judaism, Shabbos is given unparalleled importance. And the Talmud, in fact, states that if one observes Shabbos properly, it's as if he's observed the entire Torah. And if one violates the Shabbos, it's equivalent to transgressing the entire Torah. This is from the Jerusalem Talmud. And it's given this special significance, Shabbos. So really the question is, number one, what does it mean that Shabbos is a sign? And number two, why is it given such heavy weight? Why is it you know, placed such importance on keeping Shabbos? And really, you know, you think about it, a lot of times defining people, you refer to somebody as Shomer Shabbos. He keeps Shabbos. That's like the defining line of somebody where they're holding a lot of times in their... Judaism, you know, it's it's a step, it's a jump. Someone Shomer Shabbos, right? It's it's like a status in a way. But we clearly see that it's given a lot of weight and a lot of importance. So the Chavetz Chaim, he gives a parable. When someone has a store, and let's say it's a, a shoe store, or a grocery store, or a restaurant, whatever it is, you pick the store. And he opens up this nice, beautiful store, and what's the first thing you do when you have a store? you got to put a sign outside your store to let people know what you do, right? You want to tell everyone that you're a, you have a restaurant. You want to tell everyone that you have a shoe store. And you have this nice, beautiful sign that you keep outside. Now, sometimes when the economy is rough or it's, it's hard, maybe people have to go away for a while. It's something they have to close up. So they'll close a store. Someone has to go away for an extended period of time. They'll close a store up. But people know that the store is not out of business because the sign's still up. So maybe when things get better, the condition, you know, the economic conditions improve. He'll be able to reopen it again. There's a chance. Or maybe when he returns from his journey, from his trip, his extended journey, 
the store is going to reopen again. Everyone knows that the sign is still there. The shoe store sign is still there. The restaurant sign is still there. One day it will reopen. And at the same time, when this proprietor is shutting down his store for good, he takes down the sign and everyone knows it will not be opening up again. I'm thinking actually in my mind about a bank I know. In, in this plaza where our synagogue is, there was a bank that was here for many, many years. All of a sudden, one night, the bank was gone. And there was not one trace of this bank, not one sign. Every emblem, every sign, and every place of the whole complex and building, it was removed. It was gone. So it was clear to us that this bank is out of here. It's not coming back. And the Chavetz Chaim tells us, he's bringing out from this mushal, from this parable, that when someone observes Shabbos, what they're testifying to, what they're testifying about, is the fact that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Not that the world just happened and it's all one coincidence, but rather there's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a vision, there's a goal. And therefore, the reason why Shabbos is referred to as a sign is because it's similar to this case of the store owner, to the proprietor, that as long as someone keeps Shabbos, this, he's attesting to this principle that Hashem is in charge of the world, there's a purpose to the world, and even if they drift away from other parts of the Torah, there's always this concept, this underlying principle that can pull them back for, they'll have that recognition that Hashem's in charge because they're observing Shabbos. They have that sign on them. Everyone knows that the store is going to reopen again. It is possible that it's going to reopen again. But if a person rejects the fundamentals of Shabbos, then it's like their sign was taken down. Then they're rejecting the fundamental principle that, that drives us to follow the divine will, which is that Hashem created the world with a purpose and a vision and a mission. And that's why Shabbos is like this sign. That's what it means, that it's a sign forever. That as long as someone is keeping Shabbos, so then there's a chance there's, that they're going to, even if they fell in other areas, that they're going to come back because the principle, the core, the fundamentals are there. But if someone rejects it, right, if they push it away, so then it's much harder because the core foundation that Hashem created the world and He's in charge has been abandoned to a certain extent. And therefore, the sign has almost, in a way, been taken down. And I feel like this is uh, something very important for we should keep in mind. Now, at the same time, Judaism is not an all-or-nothing religion. And, you know, we shouldn't think that if we can't do everything, we should do nothing. It doesn't work like that. But the point is, is that we should keep, you know, Shabbos is not just about Resting, it's, uh, there is a lot of enjoyable rest time on Shabbos that's important. But it's about this concept of that declaring that Hashem created the world. He's one, there's a mission, there's a purpose. And when we do something small, like make Kiddush, when we you know, light candles on sh- before Shabbos, we're, even when we have a Shabbos meal, so we're attesting to that fact. We're tapping into it. And God willing, the, the more we do this, the easier it becomes, and God willing, it'll push us to become stronger in our Shabbos observance, to, to be strengthened in our keeping Shabbos, so that we're eventually able to get to keeping Shabbos in its entirety 
and its full glory. The second idea I wanted to share with you takes us to the Shari Yosher. Now, to give a little background, the Shari Yosher was written by Rav Shimon Shkup, Rav Shimon HaKoyin Shkup, who was one of the greatest minds, one of the greatest Rosh Yeshiva, the greatest deans of yeshivas in pre-war Europe. And Rabbi Shimon's magnum opus was the Shari Yosher, which is an in-depth work on different sugyas, different uh, areas in the Talmud that plums the depth of the Talmud, different contradictions, different places, and explaining ideas, very, very deep safer, which is learned in yeshivas, explain ideas in the Gemara on a very high level. And for today, we're going to take a little detour from the regular different commentaries that we look at, and look at the introduction to Shari Yosher, which Rabbi Shimon Shkup writes, because it relates to this week's Parsha. And Rabbi Shimon writes in his introduction to his Sefer Shari Yosher, he asks a question. He says, why was it necessary for Moshe Rabbeinu to smash the Luchos? You know, this week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, he hears the voice of the Jewish people, he hears this loud ruckus, and he sees the Jewish nation or parts of the Jewish nation worshiping the golden calf. And he takes the luchos, the tablets, and he smashes them on the ground. And the question that Rabbi Shimon asks, he says, why did Moshe Rabbeinu smash the luchos? You would think at the moment that the Jewish nation is worshiping an idol, that he should, you know, he should do just the opposite. You know, now more than ever, they need the Torah. He's taking the Torah and smashing it. The Luchos, which have the Ten Commandments on it, which represent the entire Torah, he's taking it and smashing it. You would think that in a moment like this, they need strengthening. He should keep it. They should be, they should be fortified in the Torah. Don't smash the Luchos. Don't break them down. Why was it necessary for Moshe Rabbeinu? Why did he do it to smash it down on the ground that the Jewish people don't have these first set of Luchos now? And the way he says it out is that that Moshe Rabbeinu should have waited. He should have helped the Jewish people do teshuva to return, to fix up what they had done. And then afterwards, he could bring the luchos back. It wasn't necessary to smash them. And he brings down something very fascinating. He says, the Gemara teaches us, the Talmud relates, that the first set of luchos, the first tablets, had a special segula, a special omen. I don't want to say omen, but they were known to have this special character trait that since the luchos were, the first luchos specifically, were totally divine, they were given over to Moshe Rabbeinu, there was a special segula, special, you know, I don't want to say omen is not the right word, but it had a special part about it, so since it was divine, that whatever you learn, Torah, whatever Torah a person learned, was never forgotten. That the reality of these the reality of the, of the first set of luchos that were given to Moshe straight but from God, that a person could learn Torah and he would learn something one time and he would never forget. And that was the first luchos. And because the first luchos had this special trait to it, Moshe Rabbeinu realized something tremendous, that when he came down the mountain and he saw that the Jewish nation was worshiping a idol. He recognized immediately that the Jewish nation wasn't necessarily on the level to have these first tablets. Because what could come out? A person could learn the whole Torah 
He could know everything, every section of the Torah by heart because all he had to do was learn at one time. But yet, a tremendous chilol Hashem would come out from this. A tremendous desecration of God's name would come out because you could have a person who knew the entire Torah but yet could do such horrible things such as serving a golden calf. And he realized that, that maybe the Jewish nation was not on the level to have these first tablets. That God forbid a chilol Hashem, a desecration of God's name could come out from such a scenario. So therefore, he smashed the luchos. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu saw it necessary to get a second pair of luchos, which were not the same as the first tablets. They were not the same. Because by the first luchos, by the first tablets, it says, Mais Elohim, that they were, you know, straight from God. But by the second luchos, we see that the wording of the Torah is different. It says, Carve out these tablets. You know, it seems that Moshe Rabbeinu carved it out and God put the words into it, which was different than the first tablets, which was totally divine. It wasn't on the same level that the first tablets were at. And for now on, the second tablets represented a new reality that the Jewish people would have, that they would need to do in order to acquire the Torah. In order to, to, be, to get to Torah knowledge, to have Torah knowledge, to be a Taman Chacham, to be a Torah scholar, to be someone who's miyageya in Torah, to, to toil in Torah, that in order for, to have the Torah, to acquire it, to know it, you would have to toil in it. You would have to work hard. You would have to review. And that's the new reality that was created with the sec- second luchos. And in a way, this is a blessing for us as well. Because although it was special, the first luchos, they were straight from Hashem, a person, you know, since it was divine, a person didn't have to, it stayed in a person forever. You didn't have to exert effort to keep the Torah inside of you. It just stayed. Right? But the Jewish people weren't on the level. And even though we weren't on the level, it's still to our benefit that the new reality is this second luchos, that our reality that now that we live in, in our world right now in 2024, or whenever you're listening to this podcast, is that you have to work hard to acquire the Torah. It doesn't come easy. There's distractions. It's not easy to learn. You have to focus, you know, and, and, it's, it's sometimes not everything's in English and there's deep ideas and you have to work hard if you want to get something. If you want to remember it, you have to go over it and go over it. It doesn't stay with you, right? Because if a person stops learning Torah, the Torah leaves them. They say it's brought down in the Talmud that if a person leaves the Torah for one day, it leaves him for two days. It's something which requires constant effort, constant work, constant diligence. And it comes out from this that the, the, this effort that we have to put in is what's necessary. It's sort of a safeguard to prevent, on one end, that there shouldn't be a chil Hashem, a desecration of God's name. The only people who are toiling in the Torah and putting their life to it are the ones who are acquiring it. And God willing, when you're doing that, you're going to live the right the right way. But at the same time, the fact that the reality is such that we have to toil, that in itself is something special. That is something which is enjoyable. That's something we have to appreciate. You know, sometimes it's not about the achievement necessarily, but it's the work that you have to put in to get to that achievement. You know, when we feel good, when we achieve, when we get to a goal, it's not because we got to the goal, it's because all the hard work that we had to put in to, to get to that point, that's what we're enjoying, that's what we're savoring. The hard work that we have to do to get to the to this Kenyan Torah, to acquire the Torah. And this is the reality that we live in now, and that answers these questions a little bit. Just On one hand, it, it helps us understand why Moshe Rabbeinu had to smash the Luchos, 
had to break them. And it helps us appreciate the new reality that we live in now, that it's really up to us. It's up to us. That's the lesson I want to take out of this, that it's up to us. How much effort we put in to studying Torah. And it's not easy. It's not always easy to do something every day and to put your mind to it, and especially when it's a foreign language, and to understand something fully, to get it all the way. It takes work, but that is also, that is the connection we get. That is the enjoyment we get. That is, that's the special thing when we have to put, you know, fight the good fight to put that effort. And that's what Hashem wants. That's what He desires to, to push to, to, the word in Yiddish is to harv, which means like that, put that effort in. But it means not just effort, it means total focus, devotion. And really when we do that, we have the ability to uplift ourselves that when we put that effort in, the Torah uplifts us. And we should, God willing, keep that in mind in all our, our efforts, spiritual efforts, that as, as much as, as hard as it seems, we shouldn't give up. We should keep at it, keep going, because God willing, you know, we say, Yogati umatsosi tam. And the, the, the Mishnah tells us that if a person says he toiled and he didn't have success, you don't believe him. But if he says, I toiled and I had success, you believe him. Because number one is we get rewarded for the effort. Number two is it's all, that's part of the, the, the mission that's part of the goal to have that to get to that Kenyan Torah to get to that choirship of Torah to have that Yagia that the diligence the effort the, all the the hard work has to go into it and God willing when we do that we're going to get to our goal we're going to appreciate what we do and we're going to be the best we can be so with that I'm going to finish for today's podcast I hope you enjoyed if you have any questions or comments or would like to reach out please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, K-O-H-N, at gmail.com have a great day